Welcome to On The Couch with James Field and Ian Harris. It's episode number 49 for the 28th of June 2007. Hi Ian, how's it going? I'm going very well, James. And uh, which country are you in at the moment? I'm in sunny Staines up in England again, and you are far, far away. I'm on the other side of almost the planet in sunny Bangalore in India. Very nice. The high-tech capital of the world, I would say, from a software perspective. That's right. We can talk about that a bit later. Yeah, and here we are. It's On The Couch podcast. Are we number 49? 49 indeed. We're getting close to that magical number 50. And what do we talk about in On The Couch podcast? It's all about technology, isn't it? But what kind of technology and whereabouts is it? Well, we're going to talk about what's happening in the UK, what's happening everywhere else on the planet. Content Mm -hmm. delivery, IPTV, mobile, gaming, and other stuff. Other stuff. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, as I guess I'm in the UK, maybe I should talk about the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, there's been more figures come out from Ofcom, which is the regulator over here, about the number of subscribers to digital television. And obviously, there's a big switch over to digital going on globally, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and the latest thing is that the penetration in UK households has gone up to 20.4 million, um, which is 80% of just over 80% of households. So, right. that's a. It's a big figure, uh, and clearly the uh, UK is well on the way. I guess it's you know 80% is not bad, and, and digital switchover is going to be, I guess, declared when it's over 95 or something. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, for the UK, I guess it's fairly... I mean, analog switch-off is really uh, a bit of a non-issue in the UK. Pretty soon they can switch it off without any issues whatsoever. I think there's a lot yeah, of countries... Region by region, a lot yeah. Of, yeah, a lot mm. of countries still have... Uh, in terms of digital penetration, a very small amount. In mm. fact, the only digital penetration is really pay TV... Yeah, and I guess that's quite incredible because I don't think the government has actually spent any money yet. That's all been funded by private enterprise. Correct. So advertising funding. And, uh, Indeed, but I think in the UK, the, uh, the Freeview platform having, what is it, 30, 40 odd channels is certainly uh, you know, a motivator on its own for people to actually go out and get it. The fact yeah, that you can get uh, uh, a digital service yeah. by plugging in a set-top box and just getting the same stuff you've already got is not you mm. know, a big motivator for other countries, I don't think. And that, that of course, is the third incarnation of uh, digital terrestrial in the UK, as we've talked about before. Yeah, so, so you know, there's, there's <laughs> a lot of, um, right. lot of blood on the floor in yes. getting it, but uh, it, it's happening. Um, there's also a bit of news about, you know, as, it, as penetration goes up for uh, digital then it gets more into sort of niche audiences that are going to have some some difficulties in receiving. And particularly, we've talked about this before, how um, partially sighted and blind people get a big discount off their TV license. Because we've got to remember in the UK as well, there's no such thing as free TV because you have a TV mm. set and you've got to pay a license. Certainly at the moment. Um, and saying that uh, disabled, blind or partially sighted viewers um, thought they were going to get some help from the government. So the government was going to give a voucher. Um, right. And I guess it might be needs assessed or something for £40. But now... Um, the uh, the government's saying, well, actually, um, maybe they'll change who will get a voucher and who won't, and it'll be maybe means assessed or something like this. Right. It's. Well. Uh, I mean, I don't think the cost here is probably much the, the hardware because you can buy a digital terrestrial box for about twenty pounds now, so that's um, what that's thirty thirty eight dollars or something US. Yeah. Um, but then, as soon as someone comes around to to install it, that's when it's going to cost significantly more. And I guess these people are probably. Uh, risk when it comes to being ripped off by the, the salesman who comes around and sucks his teeth and goes, oh yeah, you'll need a new aerial missus. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and a lot of technology, a lot of people just have no idea. If, they, if a guy says you need an aerial, then you probably have to get one. So that's uh, right. What are you going to do? You know, they probably say, oh, you need a new roof as well. Yeah. <laughs> Starts right. start doing the whole thing. Um, oh, and your washing machine's making a noise, too. <laughs> you, know, you know how it is. Um, Yep. Anyway, that's enough of enough about the UK. What's going on in uh, in India, maybe, and uh, all the rest of the world? What's happening? Yeah, well, something that's actually just just breaking in India, in fact, is uh, in the the province or state that I'm in, which is uh, Karnataka, and I've probably got the pronunciation wrong. Karnataka. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. Um, they're launching uh, one of the first IPTV services in India. Right. Uh, and this is BSNL, which is uh, one of the telcos, as I understand it. Yeah, it's one of the uh, government spin-outs, I think. It's MTNL and BSNL. Right, so they're... Uh, the, but the, the way they're advertising is that... Uh, have you missed your favourite programme at 9pm when you were busy? Yeah. Well, don't fret, you can watch it any time convenient to you. So it's all about catch-up TV, yeah, it's about video on demand. Um, so mm-hmm. it's emphasising its you know two-way connectivity and the fact that... Um, do they have the rights for all those programs? Apparently so. They're advertising the whole thing as being able to watch your your favourite programs whenever you want, even if you haven't actually recorded it. I think knowing what I know about the Indian legal system, they can probably say, well, yeah, challenge us in court. It'll take you 10 years to hear the, <laughs> the case heard, so we'll be on the explosion by then, yeah. <laughs> um, which I think could probably be the case. Um, I know like um, some of the larger international broadcasters there, they may not have the rights for some of the shows that they're broadcasting for. Mm-hmm. Replay, um, and it, it, I guess it ends up a bit like Cablevision in the US, who are um, yes. talking about doing this. Um, I guess again, the legal framework is, is slightly more focused on intellectual property in, in yes. the US than it is in India. So uh, that'll be good to, to watch and see how it works from a technology perspective, and also from a, an intellectual property perspective. Mm. So that's quite interesting. And switching over to the US. Mm. Um, we were talking last week about cable card and the impl- implementation. Now that uh, one July, it's a great is just cable about company, isn't it? Sunflower Broadband. So this is a, a small cable operator in the US called Sunflower Broadband. Anyway, so the FCC have enforced this cable card stuff mm-hmm. with um, with Sunflower, and now um, Sunflower has, I think, chosen Motorola's embedded security boxes, mm-hmm. um, and suddenly they're saying, "Well, look, as a small operator, you're costing me lots of money." Uh, do mm. we have to do this? Um, so, I mean, basically, can't sell anything for six, three to six months, which seems a uh, it's difficult for them. And I think this is some of the practicalities of, of standards being imposed by large bodies, and uh, yes, you know, not necessarily what everyone wants. Well, I mean, I can understand the motivation for having the system, but you know, for a small boutique operator like this one, uh, you know, uh, well, presumably they should have actually been ordering the boxes some time ago because everyone knew this was coming, but. But cable card is more for the consumer, not for the operator. Right? Oh, yeah, it's That's all the about idea. the consumer, absolutely. Yeah. But I guess, again, they, because they have franchised areas, the consumers don't even have a choice, even if they had a choice. It's exactly. more if they, uh, you know, if they were to move house, they could keep the box, and uh, mm-hmm. that's the idea. Hmm. Well, I think the irony here is that the, the whole point of cable card was to uh, introduce a retail model mm-hmm. so that the customer could take their box between different providers or bring their box from somewhere else or go to their local store and get a cheaper box if they wanted. Um, and the argument that Sunflower Broadband is saying is that they are the one ordering the boxes. So e- even in its intentions, it hasn't kind of worked out the way they'd envisaged. Yeah. I and think. I certainly know when you start doing more exotic things like catch-up and video-on-demand and PVR, then mm. there's no guarantee that the boxes will work because cable card mm. doesn't encompass the whole functionality of the set-top. It would Correct. be a set-top. You know, so. That's right. 
Okay, let's uh, move on to a bit of content delivery news, and there's bags of this around, mm. as you might expect. Um, juiced, what's the juice story? What's the uh, juice well, on Juiced? We've got uh, CEO Mike Volpe saying mm-hmm. that they're starting talks with hardware manufacturers to have Juiced included in digital TV sets for easy access to the service. Yeah. So they're looking at digital set-top boxes, mobile TV handsets, PBRs, and televisions themselves right. uh, that have presumably internet access. Uh, to be able to get used directly on your TV. So like an Apple TV or something like that. Exactly. There's not much for me to watch there at the moment. Um, <laughs> although I did watch an iPhone sort of how to use it thing, which I'll maybe talk about later. So you can't have a podcast at this time of the year without talking about an iPhone. Exactly. So did you um, ever get used going on your hacked Apple TV? No, I didn't. Um, the problem is I needed to have an Intel-based Mac in order to get the preference oh, files when it first... Place, right. Well, you had to get the preference files and then copy the preference files over because oh, it couldn't right. couldn't start up, but once it had the preferences, it would be okay. Oh, so okay. I didn't get around to that. And then Apple came and pulled the rug out from under my feet with their latest security update. So, oh. um, so oh, well. some other time. But I'm, I'm confident that maybe Juice will appear on something like Apple TV. Mm. Uh, I mean, obviously, YouTube got there, but I think that's because there's this love fest between Apple and Google at the moment. Yes. Even rumors that maybe Google was going to buy Apple. Wow. The other day, but uh, uh, hmm. to get closer to the hardware, but uh, hmm. we shall see. Um, so Juice is trying to get into people's TVs. Um, Pandora TV is a so it looks a bit like a kind of a Juiced crossed with, um, I guess, uh, YouTube in Korea, right. which has got some um, some funding, um, six million dollars of funding. But apparently, very successful in in Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe some of our Korean listeners can give us the lowdown on what happens. But I think mm. it, it integrates with mobile, and um, obviously there's a very big broadband infrastructure in Korea as well. Mm. And also a lot um, of uh, mobile phone television users as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see any comments on anyone who's looked at Pandora TV, but maybe this is a, a, you know, a foreign user-generated content site outside mm. of the U.S., mm. which is be, you know, refreshing to see. It's not just the U.S., of course, that is innovating and doing stuff. And Korea yes. is just amazing when it comes to early adoption and technology. So yes. worth a look. Look out for Pandora coming to you soon when they open the box, as they say. <laughs> I can just imagine um, the marketing for, slogans. <laughs> for those Greek historians are amongst us. Uh, <laughs> yes, so, that's right. Um, now, I think talking about, uh, I'll talk about this cha-cha thing later on um, in the other bit, but um, what's this IPTV? We've got a bit of news, which is normally a bit rare for IPTV. What's happening there? Yeah, it is indeed. Um, so we've got a company called Backspace Communications, which I think is definitely an unfortunate name, but anyway. Uh, allegedly, they're a global leader in the IPTV industry, but I really haven't heard of them, so um, I presume mm. they're a, a pending uh, global leader, or they're a global leader in their own minds. Right. Uh, and they're pulling back the curtain to reveal their success. Um, so over the last years, uh, last five years, they've spent time uh, doing content acquisition and system development. They've spent the last two years doing extensive beta testing. Right, uh, a great CEO name as well, Fling Trailer. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic, isn't I it? That's, that's worth it. <laughs> they've got a walled garden lineup. Yep, um, so you can basically access content within a particular... Uh, so what part of IPTV is this in? Is this to set up boxes or is this to PCs or do we not know? I uh, don't. No, they're not. They're not uh, giving that away. Except that it's a they're rich just, new media experience. Hmm, solutions for ISPs and telcos. So uh, yeah. So I'm brilliant. Well, good luck to Backspace. Yep. Maybe we can find out a bit more about what they're actually trying to achieve. Um, but I think the 
the point here is that we're seeing more and more companies trying to get onto the IPTV bandwagon um, because you know internet television as a whole is a it's a great level playing field for new companies to get in on. You don't need a cable infrastructure because you've already got one. You don't need a satellite in the air, uh, but all of a sudden you can start um, providing services. Globally, effectively, if you've yeah. got lights, I suppose. But yeah, you just got to start somewhere. You go for the, you know, the classic, the low-hanging fruit, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That's what you're for. So you had a little bit of uh, other fast IPTV news. Which, um, yeah, and I, I, I mean, it, we're often looking at different articles that are predicting that uh, things like mobile TV is going to be for everyone, mobile TV is going to die. Well, he's one that's saying that IPTV isn't ready for millions of customers at the same time. Right. But this is for VOD-based IPTV and streaming IPTV. Yeah. Um, I, I just read an article about the Hong Kong system, um, PCCW Now TV in Hong Kong, which has got, I think, the largest IPTV system today. It's yep. 800,000 users, and they were, their focus is on streaming, not on video on demand. Um, yeah, exactly, which is, you know, aside from getting the bandwidth to the nodes and, you know, given the small, mm. you know, geographical... Yeah, and they've got a fully digital network, lots of good short drops from the, the D-slams into the, the yep. set-top boxes. There's yep. no competition. No one else is offering video on demand. So they don't have to do video on demand. So, yeah. Well, I'm sure, that, I'm sure uh, they wouldn't say that. But <laughs> <laughs> so the argument here is that IPTV is not ready for millions of people because it's just not scalable as yet. Yeah. Um, now, I, I think that... I mean, that's, that's obviously not quite true because... Um, I mean, even China's planning on having a million and a half subscribers by the end of the year. But what does that mean, you see? I mean, because a lot of these people, they're not just offering IPTV, they're offering broadband, they're offering mm. voice. Um, so, I mean, this article I saw from um, PCW said, you know, they used to have 100% all of the, the fixed line business. They've now got 61% or something yeah. over a five-year period. So this is just part of their triple and quad play mm. because they need to do this. And if they didn't, they'd just be... Seeing their revenues dip by sixty-one percent, exactly. Know, sorry, 40, thirty-nine percent. So. so, I guess it's so, saying that um, uh, you know, with the amount of bandwidth you need for MPEG two, um, you can't really do that over phone lines at the moment. And MPEG MPEG four chipsets are only just starting to come out in any sort of numbers, and certainly, yeah, prices that's are going to help. I think. Yeah, exactly. And also, they're not really pitched at anything other than high definition at the moment. We're seeing some. People exactly. look at standard definition on MPEG-4, which wasn't really a space that many people had occupied before. It was like, well, no, MPEG-4 I mean, is for, for HD, but there's a lot of greenfield sites which can sort of exactly. jump on the bandwagon at SD. And that was the problem with MPEG-4 generally, in that it, MPEG-4 technically has been around for quite some time, but why would you move... I mean, if you've got already infrastructure in place where you're broadcasting MPEG-2 content to MPEG-2 set-top boxes, and you've got that infrastructure... Then you, you really need to replace MPEG your whole. Yeah, you need yeah. to replace your whole set the box population in order to do MPEG four. And as we know, set the boxes don't have a sort of PC lifetime; they have a sort of TV lifetime, which is going to be ten years or so. Exactly. Um, so, I, I think that's good because it, it, in a way, destabilizes the business and allows new entrants to come in with sort of fresher business models. Um, mm. Not having, and certainly even satellite, we're seeing some movement in the satellite business worldwide where people are saying, "Hey, we can just jump straight in on MPEG four we're paying half as much for the, uh, the distribution medium, the transponders, uh, which are not, uh, are not inexpensive by any means. That's um, true. So they can jump in there. But the box price, as you say, is still a, a little bit higher, but maybe it, uh, it evens itself out, um, certainly yeah. at the early stages. Um, yeah, so I think that's, I mean, that's certainly coming down, and, and you know, high, def- high definition is seen as the reason to go to MPEG-4 at the moment. But in the IPTV world, maybe there's uh, bandwidth is... Uh, 
another reason as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, and a little story here about um, mobile TV launching in Malaysia. Um, I'm not sure this is launching or whether it's. I mean, Nokia's doing a DVB-H standard stuff mm-hmm. in Malaysia. Whether it's a it's a bigger trial, well, I'm not sure. It's a uh, commercial broadcast saver service. I don't quite know what that means, but that's running commercials, or you have to pay for it. <laughs> that's right. Or at least it's. Uh, does that mean it's not a trial? Well, that kind of suggests that, doesn't it? Or it mm. means money's money's changing hands at some point. Mm. But we will we will watch and learn. Maybe it's just another another uh, bit of noise going on in the mobile stuff. It doesn't mention about what kind of services they're going to offer, because I think it's no. what people are going to watch is the key part, and that still hasn't been solved. Um, well, it is DVB-8, which is one of the first... I haven't actually seen any commercial rollouts of DVB-H. No, it's been, uh, uh, maybe in the Middle East, I'm not sure. But yeah, yeah, the Qualcomm service, I think, in the US, the media mm. flow stuff has been... Uh, um, so people who see it say it's really cool, but whether anyone actually uses it, I'm not sure. Um, Okay, um, mobile news would not be complete without mentioning the iPhone, which obviously launches uh, probably uh, the day the podcast comes out. Yep. Um, I've watched some of the, the videos on my Apple TV, about mm-hmm. 25 minutes, but there's this guy who isn't Steve Jobs dressed in a black turtleneck, just you know, <laughs> running through some of the scenarios. He's and, fake uh, Steve you know, Jobs. He's, he's not the fake Steve. No, he's, uh, he's just a guy, and he's saying, look, it's really easy. He's browsing the web. He's doing demos of how to use it. There's a new one that came up I just watched last night on um, how to use the keyboard and it's very easy mm-hmm. um, there's been a number of um, I guess tech pundits who've had their hands on it and used it for a couple of weeks um, mm-hmm. they seem to be you know people who've, who've smoked the uh, the Apple source or something anyway like the David Pogues and the Walt Mossbergs so they're all kind yeah. of a bit pro Apple anyway um, but it looks looks like it could do the um, do what it says on the tin basically mm. um, I think the one critique we saw was someone saying well actually to make a phone call you've got to press six buttons um, yeah. and I was thinking on my phone if I do it one, two, three four, five I've got to, I've got to press like six or seven on my Sony Ericsson so I'm not <laughs> sure that's not uh, after all. Yes, um, yeah. I think there's a few things that's missing that would really kind of make it and you know I think it's got a two megapixel camera but like mm. As if you're going to use, you know, a multi-megapixel camera for much on your phone anyway. Yeah, um, exactly. I think it's a shame. And how it often have do you print out an A4 color pic from, from your phone? Exactly. Well, from any camera, to be well, honest. From any camera, yeah. No one prints things anymore. <laughs> um, I think it's a shame it doesn't have a stereo Bluetooth headset option. Um, I think they, that, they've got one of these really cool bone conduction jaw things. Right. Um, but it's a hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but it's noise cancelling. It's the I don't know, Israeli army super special. Right. That's only just a, that's just a, to make phone calls, not to actually listen to songs. So. Exactly. I mean, listening to songs is the regular. It is a, a stereo headset with this sort of blipper that you can press to. Yeah, so you can actually plug in that particular headset, but you can't use any other headsets with it. Uh, um, well, probably Bluetooth ones. I'm sure you can use third-party Bluetooth headsets. Yeah, but I can't think you use stereo third-party Bluetooth. Oh, I do. That's details, Ian. Details. Ah, well, if you can listen to music, that's what it's all about. Yeah, I guess so. Yes. So, I don't know. I think um, either would way, it's going to be a massive if, success. If there was one available tomorrow, would you get one? Um, I actually think it's a bit big. <laughs> you know, if you want a smartphone that surfs the net and all yeah. that sort of stuff, fine. But if you want to just make calls... Yeah. Then um, you know it's still there were some people saying they had huge handed models to, right, to make it look smaller. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, 
the, I think uh, the other surprising stuff is it can read Word and Excel documents, not edit them, but look at them in PDFs. Right. Um, and uh, battery life's improved. You've got a glass screen, seems to be mm-hmm. all right. Uh, also, the data plans were quite interesting. They've got an all-you-can-eat data plan because people yeah, were saying, exactly. oh, they, that's the interesting you, yeah, yeah, which I think it, it kind of makes sense, uh, mm. uh, uh, that kind of service, because there was some conjecture that they'll just, what's the point of surfing the web? They'll cane you on the data. So, uh, <laughs> that's right. But so, you know, we'll, we'll watch and learn. Um, mm, I'm looks sure. like we might, have a, we might have a podcast after the hiatus has died down. Yes. See what the uh, fallout is from all that. Yeah. Okay, um, let's move swiftly on to gaming. Lots of gaming news. Yeah, lots of stuff. So we had uh, Nintendo briefly going past Sony in terms of market capitalization. Which I think is amazing because, I mean, Nintendo's a one-trick pony, isn't it? It is. It does games and Sony is one of the, what I thought was one of the biggest conglomerates. You know, they own, you know, movie production studios. Mm. They own, you know, every every conceivable part of electronics, professional, you know, uh, television gear, um, everything in the world. And uh, Nintendo makes a couple of games. So it must be just a bit of sort of we love stock effect kind of thing. It's just be. piling in because it's good. Which, I, I mean, to be honest, I wish I'd bought some Nintendo stock because, you know, that would have been a short-fire winner, <laughs> yeah, I suppose, because, moves, you yeah. know, the Wii is very <laughs> successful. So um, so that's uh, good on good on for Nintendo. I hope, just hope some better games come out. And there was some news uh, rumoured that... Um, the Wii's going to uh, open up the online game development market. So I think right. like the 360 where they have the, the is it AXN, the authoring environment, the third parties right, can just yeah. put games up on their, their store, and um, Nintendo's looking to do the same for their online oh, uh, gaming. So it'll be Wii, Wii Online or whatever it is. I don't know they'll, right. they'll call it, but uh, I think that's good news for the platform because mm. um, they haven't really made much use of the online capabilities. No, um, they haven't. The odd email and, and sharing the me's and things like that. Yeah. Um, so that and, really cool. You know, there'll be new ways that people will make use of it. Um, unless I haven't weed for a while. Honestly, I'm still <laughs> tinkering with stuff. Um, so that's really cool. There was also a bit of news about, um, again, hacking the PSP, which came up. Yeah. Um, What's the story there? Well, there's always been what they call the homebrew environment for the PSP, where people have been trying to run Linux on it and various game emulators for Game Boys and things like this. Mm-hmm. And it was it is generally been done through sort of backdoor hacks, where people have used some of the um, game sharing or online gaming capabilities from uh, prepackaged games, where they allow. Right. And the fir- the first one was a browser, I think, on um, one of the games, which enabled you to go online and buy bits or look at other cars. But someone found a hack in the browser where you could input an arbitrary uh, address and then you can go there, execute something and um, you'd mm-hmm. be able to put new firmware onto the, the box um, and the, obviously the main target there for homebrews is probably to rip games off and then play them without you know, unsigned games effectively. Mm-hmm. Now uh, basically Sony has nailed that pretty much every single time there's a new firmware update um, yeah. and in fact at one time you could actually a significantly more for kind of like a virgin PSP, which had the original firmware in. Yeah, right, that hadn't been and they were, updated. And they, exactly, but now <laughs> someone has found a, a, um, a backdoor in the game Lumines, um, mm-hmm. which uh, I haven't played, actually. Have you played Lumines? No, I've seen it. Looks, I've heard of it. Looks pretty cool. Yeah, um, but there's a basically a backdoor in that which allows any firmware in any PSP to be homebrewed. Um, right. and, and in typical kind of Word travels fast on the web. Um, I think the sales of Lumines went up on Amazon uh, within 24 hours to the number one fastest selling game on Amazon. 
um, with wow. like over a thousand percent increase in, in sales. <laughs> so I guess it shows that the PSP is that kind of game platform where it's, it was out there, it's got a lot of capabilities. We've heard recently about how BT in the UK are going to go voice over IP. I haven't got the little camera actually, yet. that's a two megapixel camera, isn't it? Right. Um, but uh, it, you know, it's an amazing piece of kit. Uh, Please, I just wish really, they'd open up the uh, video playback capabilities so you could play back at full screen resolution. Yeah, and, um, yeah, that would just be great. It's just a shame you have to actually. Well, find the a, the UMD format's pretty much dead, isn't it? I mean, it's dead. It's gone. It's yep. because it's just it's been superseded by flash. Um, flash yep. memory is now so cheap you can you can no, put just, a, the, the movies were just too expensive. Exactly. I can't believe they're charging more than the price of a DVD. I've never actually watched a full length movie on a. Yeah, it's actually not that good because the screen... No, not from a UMD, I must say. Yeah, I've watched one from the UMD, but a couple actually, but it's really strange. The, the screen actually ends up being very not bright enough, so you have to yeah. adjust the brightness, and then the actual volume is actually oh, too low. Right. Yeah, there is some sort of something in the firmware, a boosting volume, wasn't there? Yeah, it? and then that just gets it up to vaguely mm. usable volume. It's, it's yeah. crazy, I don't know. What okay. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit in the other part about Mechanical Turk, which is... Um, and what is a Mechanical Turk? Well, a Mechanical Turk, I think, and I'm sure someone will set me straight here by just Wikipediaing it, um, <laughs> was a, a, like, it was built as a, like a, an early robot in, I think, the 18th century that could play chess. Right. And it was obviously stylized like a Turk, and it could play chess like a grandmaster. Uh-huh. And obviously, this wasn't alien technology in the 18th century. It was, in fact, a man inside a costume who was a chess master um, <laughs> right so they actually so, had a real yeah <laughs> okay pretending it to be was, a robot. well pretending or it was billed as an automaton or you know this is magic right. and they say you know great advances in technology are indistinguishable from magic and this is what it appears to be mm-hmm. now um I, I was interested to hear about how amazon are using a kind of similar thing which is a, a man inside the machine mm-hmm. to um solve a lot of tedious computing problems um Mm-hmm. And an example I had was about um, you know, trying to recognize things on roads. A lot of sat-navs these days are trying to do road um, sign interpretation and get warning people when the signs are appearing. And that's a mm-hmm. pretty tricky problem because you've got to take mm-hmm. thousands and millions of photographs then you've got to get a computer, ideally, to recognize all the road signs and road markings. Absolutely. Um, and what you can do in Amazon has this thing called Amazon Mechanical Turk where they're paying people mm-hmm. to process images as humans Right. And mark out all the things that are on the screens because this is something a computer isn't very good at doing. Mm, it would be and quite so, easy for people to do, I expect. Yeah, so they have, I think they call hits, it's like human uh, interaction, something or other. Um, so basically, they're dividing up really large tasks which computers are useless at and getting mm. people to do it for micropayments. So you yeah. can register as a, as a uh, mechanical Turk, I suppose. And mm-hmm. so these are, you know, I guess. Um, Casual gamers can actually earn money, or people instead of gold farming in China, they can do <laughs> um, roadside identification, fantastic. and it's real cash, not gold, not uh, World of Warcraft gold. Oh, so, that's very um, interesting. And and I think it's important to realise that you know, the web not only allows us to sort of Google and use massive computing power distributed around the world, but it also enables people to get together and do stuff which was really tricky. Mm. Um, and whether that's you know, making recommendations, or you know, if everyone gets together, or a significant interested community are doing that. And one site uh, is, in fact, a people-powered search. There was one called ChaCha, ChaCha.com, right. as in C-H-A-C-H-A.com, um, which has uh, people giving you searches. So you say, "I'm looking for this," and then literally a chat window will wake up, will come up, and I'll give you some search criteria, 
mm-hmm. um, or search some answers. They're obviously sponsored with advertising. You're not paying for that, but the people are paid to be. Um, right. Well, either they're not paid, maybe even they're just doing it because they enjoy having some dialogue with people and helping people. It's a very mm-hmm. sort of human thing. Um, so this is an example of people-powered search. And obviously, the more people that search for things, they refine their model and, and have some automatic suggestions. But clearly, if you're searching for something very esoteric, mm. uh, you might not be able to find it. I think th- this might be better for people who aren't so familiar with uh, you know, the Boolean logic required by search terms. Mm. I mean, it's quite an art. It's, searching is a bit of an art. And I think a lot of us in the technology area have learned how to search as opposed to the engines learning how we want to, to find, find the information you're after. Exactly, exactly. So you have to be quite, you have to be a clever searcher as opposed to being a clever search engine, I think. Hmm. And, and I think there's definitely a cusp where it's going to be very difficult for machine intelligence to, to lean over that way. And similarly for recommendation engines and things like that. Um, people Absolutely. like to have human recommendations rather than um, mechanical recommendations. So I think this, you know, maybe this mechanical Turk thing might catch on a little more, um, especially as we've got more people getting connected online. Um, in, in India and Bangalore, I'm sure there's probably a few mechanical Turks out there uh, <laughs> Absolutely. who are who you know, earning, earning dollars by night with their broadband connections. Um, and there's quite a thriving community for doing this. I mean, yeah, have, a, cool. have a look. We'll put it in the show notes and you can have a look at mechanical Turk action. Fantastic. So it's like artificial, artificial intelligence without the artificial bit. Exactly. <laughs> it's real intelligence. Yes. Um, Very cool. you know, human. Yeah, so I think that's that's really cool indeed. Interesting. Mm. So you can have a nice curry when you're over there. I mean, I have had so much curry; it's unbelievable. Great you're food. You're a masala Fantastic. man. Fantastic. Very nice. Uh, I think we're going to have a, a break for a couple of weeks. Indeed. Um, so in the meantime, you can check out our sister podcast, which is at www.digitalvisionpodcast.com. Yeah, and they're really good. I've had to listen to both of the ones out there so far. Excellent. Uh, insights from some industry insiders so i'd encourage you all to have a listen to them or send us some feedback at feedback at on the couch podcast.com indeed and uh, keep on listening and bear with us for a couple of weeks while uh, ian goes off seeing giraffes and lions or something that's right yeah, a trip in africa and see what's there and we'll get back straight into it with episode number 50 yeah look forward to having you all listen then it's goodbye for me james and bye from ian cheers guys